Okay. And I think we are live on Facebook now as well. Beautiful. God bless you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, we thank God for his faithfulness and, and for his mercies upon us. Uh, let's just go straight uh, into the word and uh, start with opening prayers. Um, okay, Toby. Toby is my very, very old, long-time friend. Uh, Toby, could you please op open with, uh, for us with a word of prayers? Are you there, Toby? Yes, I'm here. It's a bit noisy oh. in my background. Forgive me. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of thank you. Thank you for the privilege that it is to come together for one thing and one thing only, which is to study your word together and to learn together. Thank you for the uh, grace that you have provided for us to be here. Lord, as we study your word, I ask that you teach us that which you want us to learn. It will not be about the enticing words of Ben's wisdom, but exactly what you want us to learn for the now. Thank you, Lord, because I know that you've heard and you've answered in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Let's go straight because we're about uh, 15 minutes into the time already. Uh, and the book of Zechariah is actually a lengthy book. Uh, it's the longest of, of, the, of uh, all the... Um, it's the longest of all the minor prophets, uh, even though uh, we've said several times, uh, uh, books classified as major or minor prophets uh, it, is not, it doesn't have anything to do with how important or less important their, their messages are or um, how important the particular prophet is, but it's just because of the length of the books, um, how long the writings were. And uh, I think about three weeks ago, thereabouts, uh, we're saying that um, actually Isaiah is that lengthy because uh, it was forbidden, Isaiah was forbidden from, from, from prophesying. People were forbidden from listening to the prophecies of Isaiah. So he started writing them down, passing them around. And I, I'm like, I had to, uh, I think it was Ahab, yeah? Uh, yes, Ahab. Um, I had to say, uh, on that lesson, I had to say thank God for Ahab, because imagine if Isaiah was just saying those things to those people, to the, the people of those generations, and then it wasn't written down, it ended like that. We will have missed out a lot. So at times persecution um, is, is, is God's way of actually preserving some of our work. So uh, the length of their books is not necessarily the only prophecy they gave. However, Zechariah is, is longer, is lengthier than the book of Daniel. Daniel was is said to be a major prophet, 12 chapters. Zechariah, 14 chapters, minor prophet. So it's not, there's no hard and fast rule about it. So it's not, it's just, just take it as a, as an academic classification. It doesn't have anything, it, it has nothing to do with their theology or with um, how important or less important their messages are. Now, um, the book introduced uh, Zechariah and several other uh, references that Zechariah was mentioned. Uh, his father's name was mentioned and his grandfather's name was mentioned. His name uh, means the Lord remembers. His father's name uh, means the Lord blesses. And his grandfather's name means in his time. 
So when Zechariah was introducing himself and introducing his book and he mentioned his name, his father's name and his grandfather's name, uh, in my opinion, I feel it's a way of saying the Lord remembers and the Lord blesses in his time. He's bringing those three names together for a time as that, because that was it. He prophesied about two months after Haggai, treated Haggai last week. So he prophesied about two months after Haggai, and they were trying to encourage um, uh, the Jews in terms of building uh, the temple. Uh, so um, those are just the, the few things. Uh, chapter two, verse, okay, maybe we'll, after the introduction, we'll look at um, a few verses there because Zachariah was said, some, some, some scholars have suggested that he was probably a teenager when he made his prophecy uh, because uh, two verse four called him a young man. Uh, so some have suggested that he was in his late teens uh, when, he, when he made this, this prophecy, showing that um, there's nobody that God cannot use. There's nobody that... Um, that is too young or too small to, to get. And this was a national prophet at 15, was, was giving prophecies um, um, to the whole nation. And if you look at it, because it's a lengthy uh, uh, book, so we may not be able to read everything. But if you read his prophecies, um, they were not harsh unlike uh, people like Jeremiah, people like uh, uh, Jonah, um, his prophecies were not harsh. Uh, just calling people to repentance and encouraging them and I mean, but he was killed. He was killed for just being a prophet. Jesus said in Matthew 3, 25, mentioned it categorically that you killed uh, uh, Zechariah. And you, I mean, so if it was if his messages were harsh, we'll have said oh, maybe because people couldn't get bear his message. The message was just to encourage people that you can do this. And um, so he's telling us that um, uh, like one of my mentors do say, when you are doing things and people are hating you, stop stop wondering what you are doing wrong. Start thinking what you are doing right. Because at times, just for doing right, people may just hate you. Uh, memory scriptures is uh, the third verse of the first chapter. Therefore, say unto them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So the, the theme is about is calling people unto repentance. We also need to know that this is a book that talks about both the first coming and the second coming of the Lord in, in, in very, very, very graphic terms. So at the time he was prophesying, a lot of things he's saying is actually looking into the future. But for us, it's like history. Half of what he said is history. Now we're looking backwards. But then he was talking about how they will look at a few of them. Uh, and then we'll, we'll end. Let me just uh, quickly read the introduction. Uh, is hope lost for God's people in despair? Zechariah, whose name probably means the Lord remembers or the Lord is renowned, was a contemporary of prophet Haggai whose prophetic and priestly career began during the time of Dairos, Dairos of Persia, 520 BC. He likely wrote the book two months after prophet Agai's prophecy, calling the people to repent. Agai 1.1, uh, Zechariah 1.1 actually bears almost the same thing. During and after the building of the temple to motivate and give hope of a better day, 
He joined Haggai in arousing the Jews to rebuild and the destroyed Jerusalem temple. This book provides specific, immediate, and future messianic prophecies and encouragement to struggling returnees trying to rebuild the temple. Jesus will come as savior, judge, and ultimately as righteous king, ruling from Jerusalem. That's chapter 14. Uh, during this conversation, we'll, we'll look at a few of those. The book of Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets and somewhat difficult to understand because of the numerous visions that call for an interpreter. An angel is present at some points to interpret the vision. Significantly, last parts of Zechariah, chapters 9 to 11, is the most quoted section of the prophets in the gospel passion narratives. In the gospel passion narratives. Also, Zechariah is greatly influenced the book of Revelation. So Zechariah talked about the first coming, like I said, uh, that's the passion, how the, 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 the Messiah is gonna come humbly, the humble. Uh, okay, let me just read this. He, he, he predicted the Messiah's mission and ministry, thus, meek Messiah, suffering savior, coming king. So the coming king part of it is heavily, I mean, heavily influenced, or a lot of things were confirmed in the book of Revelation. As a form of background, chapter 1, verse 12, chapter 7, verse 5 shows that the 70 year captivity was gradually ending the time of Zechariah. This was about 66 years since Jerusalem's fall, since Jerusalem fell, when the first word of the Lord came to Zechariah in the second year of Darius the first, 520 BC. The Babylonian empire had fallen to the, Persian, to the Persians in 538 BC, and Cyrus, the first king of Persia, signed a decree permitting all captives to return to their homes. Since Darius, one came to power in Persia, hope arose for Jews in Jerusalem and Babylon. Some of the captives had been back in Jerusalem for 16 years, but nothing was being done about rebuilding the temple. Haggai and Zechariah powerfully preached so that the work of the second temple began in 520 BC and finished in 516 BC. Okay, so let's uh, let's just go to the discussion straight uh, because this is where uh, I would like to have inputs. The book of Zechariah is, is divided into three messages. One, need for repentance. Two, the hate visions, the temple will be rebuilt and God's glory will return to Jerusalem. And three, the coming kingdom of God. Can someone please help me open to Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine? And then another person, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. We want to see uh, some of Zechariah's prophecies that uh, uh, came to fulfillment in Jesus, because that was the, the, main, the, the, the main theme of the book of Zechariah is about the coming king, is about the kingdom of God now and the kingdom of God to come. So if you are in Zechariah 9 9, please help me read. And then someone else, Matthew. 
<clears throat> so Zechariah 9 9. I'm reading from the message. So this is probably the 9 and 10. Shout and cheer, daughter Zion. Raise your voice, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming, a good king who makes all things right. A humble king riding a donkey, a mere cult of a donkey. Hmm. I've had it with war. No more chariots in Ephraim. No more war horses in Jerusalem. No more swords and spears, bows and arrows. They will offer peace to the nations, a peaceful rule worldwide, from the four winds to the seven seas. Okay, I, I think it went to verse 10, but uh, it, it was predicting Jesus' riding on a donkey, uh, or on a colt, actually. Uh, and we know the story. Well, maybe we should just read, because Matthew had to quote, uh, let's, read, let's read Matthew uh, 21, 1-4, because there's something uh, significant there. And why did it break? Uh, uh, Matthew, Matthew 21, 1-4, anybody? When they neared Jerusalem, having mm. arrived at Bethphage on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll mm. find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you're doing, say, the master needs them. He will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king on your king is on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a park animal. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. Now, if you if let's I, I love to bring Bible to context. Um, what Jesus asked his disciples to do uh, is like me asking you guys on a Sunday. Uh, you know that where we meet, there are loads of cars. You know, there's a particular uh, church at the at the junction, and there are several cars there. And I tell you, uh, the Michael, and probably who who is here, who has chest here. I mean, I think maybe Jerry, and say, okay, please go to this, go to that uh, uh, church, uh, break into a car. You know how they, how they used to use wire, join wire together. And start the car and bring it. If anybody meets you, if anybody accosts you on the way, tell them that uh, Pastor said we should go and bring it. Now, Matthew needed to quickly change the subject because that's what that's what Jesus asked them to go and do. He needed to quickly bring in the prophecy in verse four. Say, oh, don't before your imagination runs wild. This is done so that <laughs> what was what was predicted could be fulfilled. So uh, we could see that there's another prophecy that is very, very significant. And a number of us miss a particular um, thing there. Uh, Zechariah 11, 12 to 13 talks about uh, the betrayal of Jesus. So we're going to read 11, 12 to 13, and then Matthew 27, verse 7, especially. So Zechariah 11, 12 to 13. I'll prefer two people to read so that we can be fast. Immediately, another person has read. So, uh, one person, Zechariah 11, 12 to 13. Another person, Matthew 27, 7. Anybody reading? 
Hello. Hello. Okay. Okay, Zechariah 11, 12 to 13. I yeah. read from NIV. Button. Yeah. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but 30 pieces of silver. Okay. Verse 13. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which it devalued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So 30 pieces of silver thrown to the potter. Can someone please help me read uh, Matthew 27, 7? Talking about the betrayal of Jesus and when Judas went to return the money, what did they do with the money? After some discussions, they finally decided to buy potter's field. So, and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. So they went to buy that field from a potter for 30 pieces of silver. Maybe another, a less contemporary version can read it. So I said they went to buy the field from a potter. Any, any other, let's have another uh, translation of that verse 7, Matthew 27. NIV. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. There's a version that says they bought the field from a potter. Let me check if it's in. Any version like that? Any version like that. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, let's just take it for Potter's Field uh, because of time. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, let's just take it for Potter's Field. Uh, from CV, okay. contemporary English version. Yeah, yeah. Then, then they had a meeting and decided to buy a field that belonged to someone who made clay pots. Beautiful. So exact uh, uh, prediction and fulfillment. So the book of Zechariah is, is a book that, that, that uh, uh, prophesied the first coming of Jesus in so much details. Then we should take note. I mean, we should take seriously what he says about the second coming because we've seen... Uh, 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 how much detail uh, uh, the, the first coming, uh, the prediction got fulfilled. Okay, so uh, number two, encouragement. Zechariah saw the sinful condition and religious indifference in his people and so delivered exhortations that got the people stirred up in rebuilding the temple at Jerusalem. Now, how do we balance? Please, I, I will need, I will need uh, uh, contributions now. The people needed to, to build the temple. Uh, they were discouraged. A number of Okay, sorry, uh, a network was gone. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah. So they were discouraged. They needed to build the temple, uh, discouraged folks. Uh, and they just stopped. They started building their own homes. Now, both Agai and Zechariah encouraged them. Now, this second point that Zechariah saw the sinful condition and religious indifference of his people. And so delivered exhortations that got the people stirred up in rebuilding the temple. 
how do we balance as pastors, as preachers, as Christians? How do we balance this? Um, I'm looking for the right word to use. This sermons on giving uh, or manipulative way of asking people to give and actually the real giving in the house of God. How do we balance those sermons? Contributions, please. Because that's what we are, that's what those, the last two prophets we've read, the last two books, that's what they are saying. People abandon the work of God, they were doing their own work. And they, they encourage them to do the work of God. How do we balance? Okay, sir. Um, I first um, action word there is encouraged. Mm. Um, so uh, rather than woodwinking and or um, I'm twisting. So the, the, the key word there is encouraging. Now also there's a pattern of giving in the Bible that most um, of us did when it comes to giving. In the church, this will build the temple. Each of you go back home, go and think of what you want to give, mm. then come back and give. Nobody's uh, mandating you or saying, Bring this, go back home, let God minister to you. Mm. And they came and gave according to what they have. And, and he didn't stop there. This is where it busted my brain. When Moses said, we now have enough. enough. Please don't bring any more. Mm. Do we have do we have peaceful to say, oh, as at now, we have more than enough. Please don't give any more. So I, I feel we should start following the pattern laid down in the Bible for giving. And uh, like we encouraging rather than trying to wink. Thank you, sir. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Encourage, not um, twist, not become motivational speakers. Okay. Yeah, any other contribution? Let me have one or two more. Toby, you were muting yourself. Yeah. Um. So in the last speaker kind of yeah, started where I was going to start, saying that the key word in this conversation is encouraging. And I think that part of the problem, inaccurate teaching hmm. about the church has done itself because it's not me that it is doing. It has done itself by teaching given inaccurately. Hmm. The truth is that if people know why they're giving, hmm, People will give because when you look at the I, I don't when you look at the example the, like about Moses, it was clear. Moses just told them, "Okay, oh, this is to give. We're building Zabalakum." So, as this is why we need to give, everybody go go and think about what your contribution to this building will be and bring it. But a lot of the times, because we have, because the church generally has thought in giving inaccurately so much, 
it's like you know that thing that they, they we are growing up. New twenty lies covered that like round of fifty lies covered the previous twenty. That's why we now have to become motivational speakers and hoodwinkers and you know practical liars to get people to give. And so when we're account, just like the other speaker said, when we're accountable and when when we're accountable as a people to each other to say, okay, this is what you've given. It's we've now reached where we need to reach. You stop giving. I'm I'm waiting to see a church actually tell its people to stop giving. You know, in this generation, I haven't seen that happen. So it's important that we're teaching giving correctly. When we're teaching giving correctly and people understand what they're giving, and then there's a you know, long sermons about cajoling people to give. And does and it's every type of giving, whatever type of giving we're talking about in church, be it you know, free will offerings, be it tithing, be it you know, special projects, whatever it is. Mm. If we teach giving correctly, we will not need to drink people or become you know, motivational speakers to get people to give. Thank you. Okay, let me further uh, shake the table. I was discussing one of my one of my uh, my fathers uh, over the week over last week, and he was just encouraging us in the church. And I've also always been thinking about this. When we're talking about the pattern, the biblical pattern of giving, you know, tithe is not used to build the temple. If they need to do any building, anything, it is a special, different collection. Tithe is meant to be eaten by the priests, by the Levites. They must eat it. So he was telling me that ah, any church that the pastor is not on salary is dangerous. So and the pastor must be eaten from the church. The tithe must be used to, to put something that the pastor must eat. You want to start saying we should start being on salary? He said, no, that's the, that's the biblical... That's, that's what the Bible teaches, that pastors need to be eaten. Ah, so I now sat down. Now, oh yeah, back to all of us that have been, have been talking about the Bible way of, of giving now. Because what the, the Moses example we gave was a special contribution. We want to build the church. We need 10 tons of cement. Oh, we've gotten 10 tons of cement. That's all right. We need uh, 1,000... Yes. That, okay, yeah. This Go table, ahead. you are shaking. You are <laughs> sure you want to shake it? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I just have to ask me before we enter exegesis here now. Let's go. Don't worry, because I have, when, I have, I have and, and, here. They are just muted. Where are they? Yeah, go ahead. And to a certain extent, to a certain extent, right? I agree with. Um, I agree with the pastor you were speaking to, but that is not the complete picture of the issue of Titan, okay. right? Let's understand that Titan in scripture, if we're going to go by Titan by biblical standards, mm -hmm. there were three different types of Titans yeah. in scripture. So the Titan that is meant for the Levite is the Levite Titan, yeah. which is 10%. Yeah. So truly, stores should get paid that cent. Okay, sorry, let me, let, me put me. A, let me put a context. You know, most pastors who are working, of that I'm coming, uh, Toby, just, just a minute. 
so that I can put a context. Most pastors that are bivocational, that okay. got another source of income, they always say, church, don't worry. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. I don't need salary from the church. You, you understand my point? And we've heard some of our fathers say that even though they are full-timers, they said, I've stopped collecting salary from the church. And it was like, it's dangerous. Do, do you understand my point? Are you there? Hello? We can hear Oh, uh, Toby, are you there? Okay, uh, maybe someone else should contribute, I, I think. Or oh, am I the only one? Okay. Okay, Toby, go ahead, yeah. Okay, so so here, so I hear you about how, and I, and that's where it becomes tricky because if you if if the person is not a full time pastor and the person has another source of income, then becomes the debate of oh should the person be paid by the church? But I strongly believe that even if the person has a, an additional source of income, as long as they are pastoring a church, they put on a salary. Now that salary will be based off. I mean, it's going. You cannot just put an arbitrary. It's not going to just be an arbitrary figure. It's going to be based on what is the income of that church in terms of what comes All those are admin. The, the, the issue is that most bivocational pastors in most denominations, in right? fact, it is they they, they sometimes spend fifty percent of their of their income on the church. Facts. I hear you. Do you understand? I hear so, you, absolutely. And, and the concept I mean, that's of if we are teaching 120 percent of their income. <laughs> so if we are teaching- Including their own income, God just said- And their wife's income self. <laughs> so if we are teaching biblical <laughs> ways of giving, because it's a table that mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to go near. If we are teaching the biblical ways, where do we draw the line? Because this guy is still trying to make, aside, don't even let's even go on the number of people pastor has placed on scholarship or the number of people pastor is paying their house rent or someone that cannot feed their family today and pastor has to give them money. We're talking about even the, just the church expense alone. A number of these bivocational pastors spend 50% of their income on the church. And now we're now saying that maybe they have work, they should not still come and collect salary again in church. This is, these are tables that I know that uh, one hour will not be able to allow us to shake. Okay, Do, does anybody else have any other uh, thing to add to that? I just wanted to shake the table a little bit. Because even me, I don't have the answer. Because I, I, I didn't agree with him uh, because I understand that... <laughs> <laughs> But I think that what you don't get is that it yeah. is the principle. It is in yeah, the, the principle, principle not in the saying. amount. It's the principle. That's what he's trying to say. That it the is the principle. Is, so so yeah. I, I'll give you an I'll give you an example. For years, right, we had a pastor. I had a pastor who okay, let's not even just like right. But in the principle of the fact that he must be paid. I think that we then put him on a, was it a monthly salary or was it a ridiculous amount? Maybe it was like 10K or 15K. Like, mm -hmm. 
I can tell you for free that whatever the judge was paying him was not enough to fill his car tank once. <laughs> but he was in the principle, he was not in the amount. And I think that that's what we need to understand. Mm. It's in the principle, not if you are collecting it, you are giving it back to a church member. <laughs> because, you know, a brother has come and said, what stop. he's saying. I've also I've also heard this from some of my mentors that they will give they will give a gift either a cash gift or buy something for their mentor and they say Baba you must use this money to buy something that you will eat oh or Baba you must wear this clothes don't give it out please that, that that is that principle that you must eat it they I've, I've had loads loads of of examples whereby. Some of our fathers will go and give their mentors cash gifts and say, Baba, please don't give this money out. Use it to buy something that you will eat. And it is that principle. Because if you are teaching, let's, let's teach an all-round uh, uh, giving. Although nowadays we use tithe for everything, an offering, and free will offering for everything in the church. Uh, but uh, we should be accountable. We should encourage people to give. Should encourage people to give in the church because um, I do tell people if I go to 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 a club and buy a, a bottle of Maltina for five thousand naira, it doesn't trend on social media. Nobody cares. Nobody say they am a fool. Nobody abuses me for that. In fact, I'm seen as a a big boy. But let me drop that same five thousand naira in church. It becomes an issue. So, and it's just, it's just a, an issue, a matter of worship. Is the fact that God uh, 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 has requested for this one, it becomes an issue. That's the issue. That's the thing. So, it is given, given in, 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 the, in the house of God these days, have, people have become uh, non challenged. There's a particular word they used here uh, indifference, religious indifference. People have be become indifferent about it. Giving to church, giving in, uh, don't worry, they're just using your tithes to do this thing. People are becoming different. But in my own opinion, some of our fathers, especially in the denomination uh, I belong to in Christ Apostolic Church, some of our fathers, in order not to be seen as wanting money, have shied away from teaching giving. In order not to be seen as, I've, I've heard a number of my mentors say that, ah, uh, let the elders or the deacons be worrying about the money. It is just me. I just want to focus on, and they they've shied away from teaching giving. They've shied away from teaching a uh, number. Of, and if you don't teach your children, someone they will learn the lesson from outside. That's why uh, Daddy Freeze will teach them, and they will listen. So, in my in my opinion, in my opinion, I feel we should teach it, encourage people, and pray. As, as pastors, as leaders in church, pray. It is God. The Bible says in the days of his power, his people shall be willing. It's God that touches the hearts of people. I think we should move, move on fast. Time is really, really gone. Okay, uh, let's just, uh, there are eight symbolic visions. I won't be able to take those eight symbolic visions, but let's look at um, the, another very, very popular uh, 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 thing in this book is the, is the, is the derobing or is it the robin now? Or change of garments of Joshua the high priest. The decoration and crowning of Joshua the high priest are symbolic 
of how God helps to remove our iniquity and clothe us with garments of grace and earthly kingdoms becoming that of Christ. That's chapter 6, uh, 9 to 15, a millennial reign prefigured. But let's look at uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, uh, Zechariah, uh, God decorating Joshua the high priest. It's very symbolic. Number one, the fact that he was the high priest doesn't mean he didn't, he won't have the filthy garment. Number two, it shows that our righteousness is of God. Now, uh, uh, the garment we are wearing is that of Christ. God sees us in the image of Christ. And it, what, the, 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 the major weapon the enemy uses against us is a weapon of guilt. Is a weapon of guilt. And people are guilty. Oh, I've done this. I've been like this. This is who I am. No, I can't change. I'm like this. And the devil keeps playing the picture in your mind over and over and over again. No, you are not like that. We need to let we need to we need to come to that uh, uh, conclusion or come to that realization that no, I am I am I am what the word says I am. So uh, uh, God, it, it it shows God's uh, help in removing our iniquity. Uh, we are all sinners. Okay, I, I'm looking at time. Maybe time. Okay, let me just quickly uh, share this. It's called Saint Augustine's uh, um, theory of uh, in soteriology in 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 salvation, in the doctrine of salvation. Saint Augustine was I mean, one of the um, early scholars in theology, and he did a, a wonderful research on this. Uh, he, he suggested that the created man, man before the fall, had two options. Man was either able to sin or able not to sin. He could choose to sin. He could choose not to sin. He had those two abilities. But after the fall of man, man was not able not to sin. Man was unable to stop sinning. Do you understand? He, he was not able not to sin. That was why the Bible says the, the thought of man at, at that time that everything the man thinks is towards evil. He lost the ability not to sin. He, he cannot but sin. And that's why if you do things with unbelievers, if you do, it, it, because sin rules them. There's a, one of our hymns that says, uh, because Jesus uh, as one, the, 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 the price for us. Sin cannot rule us anymore. So the fallen man was not able not to sin. However, the saved man, when we come back to Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, he returns us to the state we were at creation. You are able to sin, able not to sin. You have the ability not to sin. You can choose not to sin. You've overcome sin dwelling, uh, ruling you. However, the redeemed man, now I've talked about the created man, the fallen man, the saved man. The saved man is different from the redeemed man. The redeemed man is not able to sin. 
He doesn't have the ability to sin. He, he can't even sin, fall into sin. It is until we get redeemed, until after rapture, when this body is changed, that we've lost the ability to sin. So while we are still in this body, though we could choose to sin and choose not to sin, but because we've, been, we've given our lives to Christ, the righteousness of God has clothed us, then we have the ability not to sin. We, have, we are able not to sin. So that's what the Bible, that's what they are telling us here, that the, 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 the crowning, the decoration of Joshua is a, is a symbol of how God helps to remove our iniquities. Our iniquity has been removed by God. Our, our sin has been taken away by God. Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, let's read. I will have loved us to read chapter 14. Okay, we still have about six minutes. Someone please open to Zechariah chapter 14. We'll read a few verses uh, from verse 1. Though God visited his people in anger. Okay, let's just go to, to Zechariah 14. And I'll just end there. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Just take the first uh, couple of verses. Zechariah 14, 1. That's what... Zechariah 14 1. Yeah. Watch for the day of the Lord. Watch for the day of the Lord is coming mm. when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. Mm. Go on. Just take a few verses. Okay. On that day, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses plundered. And the women raped. Half the population will be taken away into captivity, and half will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in time past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. For half the mountain will move towards the north, and half towards the south. You will flee through this valley, for it will reach across the Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all his holy ones with him. Mm. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. Mm. Yet, there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. <laughs> there will be no normal day and night. For at evening time, it will still be light. On that day, life-giving work from Jerusalem, half towards the Dead Sea and half towards the Mediterranean, flowing continuously both in summer and in winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. All the land from Geba, north of Judah, to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, will become one vast plain, but mm. Jerusalem will be raised up in its original place mm. and will be inhabited all the way from the Benjamin Gate over to the site of the Old Gate, then to the Corner Gate, and from the Tower of Ananel to the King's Wine Presses. And Jerusalem will be filled, safe at last, never again to be caused and destroyed. And the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem, their people will become like walking corpses. 
their flesh rotting away, their eyes will shrivel in their sockets, and their tongues will decay in their mouth. On that day, the Lord will be terrified. On that day, okay, let's, be just, let's, let's stop there because of time. Let's stop there. Um, well, what, what the Bible is saying is describing here is number one, the war of Armageddon. Uh, and then he's talking about the new heaven and new earth. Uh, there will be no more sea. Uh, he's talking about we, do, there will be, we, do, we won't need sunlight anymore. It will just be day all through because the, God himself will be the light. Uh, and he, he, when you look at the book of Revelation, I mean, these are just a number of things that were almost word for word in the book uh, uh, of, of Zechariah. So uh, this is to tell us that this stage is set. Like when I do teach the book of Revelation, I do say that um, it's the Antichrist, uh, Antichrist in quote now, a number of us know him as the Antichrist, but that's not what the Bible calls him. But let's just call that person Antichrist for the sake of those who have not uh, studied the book of Revelation. Uh, is the Antichrist around now? I'll say yes, 100% yes. If you ask me this, the same question 100 years ago, I'll still tell you, yes, the Antichrist is around. If rapture doesn't happen in the next 100 years and ask me the same question, is the Antichrist around? I'll still say yes. Why? Because the devil always has a man ready because he, he, doesn't, he too doesn't know the time rapture will happen. And he knows he has a short time after the rapture. So the devil is ready. A number of, of, of people, a, a number of events are, are set to show that the end is here. A number of world events, political events are, um, are just here to show that the world, and, and they, are, they are rehearsing it. See, at that time, it would be, it would be um, stupid of you not to believe that uh, Antichrist is the real guy. Just imagine how, how people uh, 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 can, can drag people on, on Twitter and on social media for not agreeing to their point of view. At that time, you will not, it will be, you will be the insane person to think that Jesus Christ is God, like seriously, you won't be able to say it. Everything is in place. Rapture is unmissable. That is just the summary of all this. We cannot afford to miss the rapture. And that if there's anything we gain from this, uh, from this book, telling us about the first coming of Jesus, which was, has already happened, and telling us about the second coming of Jesus. At that time, because there will be so much demon invasion, investigation, there will be loads of demons that will be released on earth. It will be, the Bible says, even for the sake of the elect that these were cultured, everybody will perish. It will be highly impossible for you not to worship the Antichrist. It will be normal, it will be abnormal. So, Rapture is unmissable. The best thing, just go with the first batch so that you don't start doing all this. We don't even, you don't even want to be on the, on the left behind scene. And the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Do we have questions? Let me quickly take questions. It's 8 o'clock already. We need to close now. Questions on Facebook.
please type it out. Or if you have questions on Zoom, you can just uh, raise your hand or mute yourself. Okay, we don't have any question. Thank you very much. Shall we just close uh, with a word of prayers? Uh, Jerry, could you please close close for us? Okay, our Father in heaven, we bless this time our thought maybe that we sorted out Jesus' name. As we prepare for your second coming, we pray that you, Lord, will make us prepared three. We don't want to miss it, Lord. We pray that everything that um, can easily beset us might them away from us in the name of Jesus. Amen. We pray, Lord, that you yourself will keep us through to the end. We pray for our teacher. We pray, O Lord, that you continually bless him and give him grace, O Lord, to continually do this. And he will not go back. His strength will not diminish. In Jesus' name, we are prayed. Amen. Thank you very much. We had a number of first-timers. Uh, Toby, thank you. I think Mommy Afolake has always been here. Thank you, Mommy, for always joining us. Lois also, thank you for coming first time. Uh, Solomon is also first-timer. God bless you. I'll see you next week. Uh, those of us in Abuja, see you in church on Sunday at 8 o'clock. Have a wonderful evening. Uh, God bless you.